Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 2 Samuel chapter 1. And uh, tonight, we're actually kind of jumping back into a series. Really, it kind of will be a, uh, a sequel series, if you will, uh, from our study in 1 Samuel. And if you were here this last year on Sunday mornings, um, right at the beginning of the year, we began a series and went through the entire book of 1 Samuel. And it was, it was a helpful, helpful series for me. Uh, it really helped me read 1 Samuel in a different light be able to look at it through a different, uh, a different lens and understand some things that I know uh, would hopefully would help us continually. And that was our study in 1 Samuel. But as we come to 2 Samuel, really most of the book, most of the book is about a character that we left off with in 1 Samuel. And the character is David. Almost the, entire, the entirety of the book of 2 Samuel is about David, this young boy who became king. And uh, it's really about what we're going to title this series, if I got that up there. It's about conquest and defeat. The entire, the entire book is, <coughs> excuse me, it's about the conquest of David as well as the defeats of David, the conquests of Israel as well as the, the defeat of Israel. But it's not just a story about a man. It's a story about a man that was loved by God and a story about a man who loved God. It's a story of a man who was used by God, but it's also the story of a man who at times failed God. But when I come to the book of of 2 Samuel, it's a story of really a man and a people who were at times close to God and at times they were not. But I kind of see an underlined theme throughout the entire book of 2 Samuel. And we're going to find that it is a journey. It's a journey of mercy or of grace, of mercy, and of faith. The entire book, the entire book is just an amazing journey of grace, mercy, and faith. You're going to see God's grace and God's mercy displayed throughout the entire book. But you're also going to see men taking faith steps and people choosing faith and to live by faith And there's some incredible lessons that we can learn from the book of 2 Samuel. And tonight, we're going to kind of have a a longer introduction because I want to get everybody on the same page because if we're going to understand the context of 2 Samuel chapter number one, we need to recall all of the events that lead up to 2 Samuel 1. If you'll recall, we meet David for the very first time as just a young shepherd boy. He's the seventh son, the seventh son of Jesse. And the story would go that the children of Israel in 1 Samuel and chapters number, I don't know, seven or eight, somewhere in there, they go to Samuel, the prophet of God, and they say, give us a king. We want to be like other nations. Give us a king. And and you'll recall if you were here for that series that Samuel said to them, hey, this is not God's will. And yet they got ahead of God. And they said, no, 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 give us a king so that we may be like all other nations. And Samuel, he kind of hung his head and said, well, I'm gonna take this to the Lord and went to the Lord. And Samuel was really in a, in a moment of defeat. Samuel, the prophet of God, a moment of defeat saying, God, I failed you. I'm not leading the people right. They want a king and they're not obeying. They're not listening. And God, in another moment of grace said, hey, Samuel, it's okay. The people are not pushing against you. They're pushing against my leadership. But Samuel, because I'm a gracious God, I'm gonna gonna bring in a king that will be good for the people. And at the time, that king, his name was Saul. He was anointed first king of, of Israel. And if you go and you research Saul's life, Saul started out very well. Saul started out very humble. Saul started out as a man who walked with God. Saul started out as a man uh, who feared God. And then 
And then something happened. First Samuel chapter number 13, Saul, he, he decided to take matters into his own hands. He was told to annihilate the Amalekites. And I want you to remember that. Remember, because I'll bring it up in a, in, a, in a little bit towards the end of the message. Actually, it might be the beginning of the message. One part of the message, we're gonna recall the Amalekites. He was supposed to push off, annihilate the Amalekites, take them, either, either uh, defeat them and, and kill them off or push them out of the land. And yet he failed to do that. He was also instructed by God uh, some specific things about offering, and he failed to do that. He also stepped into the position of priest and began to do sacrifices that were not his duty. And Saul, he really began to be a man that was lifted up in pride. Every time I look at Saul's life, I'm cautioned in pride because the downfall of Saul began with Saul thinking too highly of himself. Well, because of this, God came to Samuel and he said, Samuel, I've resisted Saul and I've actually chosen a man after my own heart. I've chosen somebody who many people listen to that phrase, a man after my own heart. They think, well, David had the heart of God, but the thought was that he was a man who continually sought after the heart of God. He wanted God's will. He wanted God to work. He was one that no matter what happened, he came back to seeking God. Well, when God said this to Samuel, I want a man after my, I'm going to select a man after my own heart. He sent Samuel to the house of Jesse. And you know the story. Send him to the house of Jesse, and there he says, Samuel says, hey, Jesse, God's gonna choose a king from your sons. And uh, Jesse says, okay. Lines up his sons, all six of them. And Samuel goes to the first one, and Samuel thinks, sure enough, surely this is him. Man, he's a good-looking guy. God says no. Goes to the next one, surely it's him. I mean, make, he could be a warrior. God says no. And on and on, all the way down through all six till finally God says to Samuel, ask him if he has another son. And Samuel says, uh, hey, Jesse, it's not any of these guys. Do you have another son? And Jesse, I could see him kind of, <laughs> well, um, yeah, I got, I got a 17-year-old, but it's not him. I mean, it's, I'm telling you, it's not him. Well, why don't you just go ahead and get him? And sure enough, that 17-year-old shepherd comes off of the field, and as soon as he sees him, God says that's him. Reminding us that man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart. Man can look at somebody and say, God will never work in their life. God could never use them. God could never help them. And yet God the whole time is saying, no, 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 that's the one I want. No, you're the one I want. And so David is selected to be king. Fast forward. <clears throat> David doesn't become king. He instead defeats Goliath. Remember the story? He defeats Goliath, the enemy from the Philistines. And David defeats Goliath. And because of this, David is esteemed a war hero. I mean, he kills one man and helps them with one battle. He's esteemed a war hero. And Saul, the king, promotes him to general. At probably like 18, 19, 20 years old, David is promoted to general of the armies. And they make up some ballads. They make up some songs about David. This is what they thought about David. They said, wow, Saul has slain his thousands, but David, he's slain his tens of thousands. Had he slain tens of thousands? No, up until that point, he had probably only killed a few. And yet the people looked at him and Saul, the Bible says, from that day forward, he envied him. And Saul, already filled with pride, is now a man filled with jealousy. And for 13 years, listen, 13 years, David experienced the hurt of a mentor turning against him. You see, Saul was his mentor. Saul was one that was investing in David. And you can go and read the stories and find out that Saul was one that David looked to. Uh, he loved his father, Jesse, but Saul was one that David looked to as a father figure. And, and Jonathan, Saul's son, David looked to as a brother. And him and Jonathan were best friends. And uh, man, what a, what a great story. Jonathan, who should have been king, but giving his robe and his, his uh, sword to David, recognizing, hey, God has chosen you. And from that day forward, they became best 
best friends and David was invited to the family, invited into the family, even married one of sons, one of one of Saul's daughters, and God was just working. And yet, because of envy, Saul began to try to kill his own son-in-law. You go through the story of 1 Samuel from really beginning chapters about 19 all the way through the end of the book. And you find David just running from Saul. During those times, David had a lot of ups and downs. He walked with God on some days. He didn't walk with God on other days. But as you come to the end of 1 Samuel, now we're getting to where we're going to be tonight. If you come to the end of 1 Samuel, 13 years have passed since David was anointed king. 13 years have passed since David uh, was going to be the chosen one. He's been on the run. It's about 13 years. He's been on the run for this time. Most recently, he has been on the run not only from Saul, but also from God. And 1 Samuel chapter number 27, verse number one, records for us that David said within his heart, there is no, no better place for me than to go to the Philistines. God has forsaken me. My people have forsaken me. My mentor has forsaken me. There's nowhere better for me to be than among God's enemies. And so David, 1 Samuel chapter 27, flees to the Philistines. He's really running from not only Saul, but the presence of God. David knew it wasn't right. There is no no sign in there at all that David inquired of God of what he should do in that situation. But you see, what had happened the, the day before is he had an opportunity to kill Saul for the third time, but he didn't kill Saul. Instead, he showed Saul mercy and hollered out to Saul as Saul was leaving the area that he was encamped in. And David, hey, I could have killed you last night. And Saul says, David, you are a son to me. You've showed mercy. You've showed grace. David, I will stop seeking you. I will stop hunting you. David, it's all good. Well, Saul had said that before. So David had reason to doubt. But I want you to recall one simple thing. David neglected to seek God in all of this. He said in his own heart, we learned that last Sunday with Pastor Thomas Shepherd on Sunday morning, uh, going from mountaintops to valleys and how easy it is to go from mountaintops to valleys when we speak to our own heart, when we listen to what we have to say rather than what God has to say. Well, David, he goes to the Philistines. He's there for 16 months, 16 months. As we come to 2 Samuel, we are at the end of the 16 months. During the last six days, okay? Now we're we're into 2 Samuel, the six days leading up to what we're gonna read tonight. Day one of six days, David was supposed to go to war with the Philistines against Israel, but God delivered him. God delivered him from going to war against against Israel. During days two and three, David is traveling from the area that he would have gone to war up near Mount Gilboa. He's traveling the 90 or 100 miles or so down to his town of Ziklag, where he has been for 16 months. As they get back down to Ziklag from afar, they notice smoke coming from Ziklag. And as they see that smoke begin to rise up, you recall the story, they ride in hard, what's going on? And they find that the Amalekites, remember the Amalekites? The Amalekites had come in, destroyed their land, destroyed their crops, destroyed their houses and taken their families captive. And it's in this moment that David's men turn against him. The Bible says that they are so defeated that they begin, they begin speaking of stoning David. Hey, let's just kill him. It's his fault. He brought us here. Let's kill him. But in this moment, David does something that every one of us should do each and every day. He turned to God. He finally came back to his senses and he realized, God, I've left you out. God, I left you out. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, you find David having a personal revival with God. Oh, listen, 
And after 16 months, 17 months of running from God, David turns his heart back to him. Can I just pause here tonight and tell you this, that you and I need to be thankful for a father who loves prodigal sons. You know what God could have said to him? No, David, no. No, you, you've, you've forsaken me for the last time. But we don't find that. We find in the moment of his return to God and his repentance to God and his revi- personal revival, God speaks to him again. And David says, God, should I go after them? And God says, go and you will recover all. So David pursues after the Amalekites. This is day two and day three. David pursues after the Amalekites and sure enough, they come to their encampment. They recover everything that's theirs. They travel back to Ziklag day four and day five. And on day six, what we're gonna read in in 2 Samuel chapter one is what takes place. But we have to know this, during all six days, There was a war going on between the Philistines and Israel. The war that David was supposed to be in, that war was still taking place in Mount Gilboa between the Philistines and the Israelites. So that's where we find ourselves when we come to 2 Samuel chapter number one. And so take your Bibles if you would. And let's go to 2 Samuel chapter number one. And we're gonna read verse one down through verse number 12. 2 Samuel chapter one, verse one, down through verse number 12. It says this. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that, and David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came even to pass on the third day that David, a man, or excuse me, that behold, A man came out of the camp from Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And and so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. Remember, David's not king yet. David's not king. Why is he bowing to him? And David said unto him, from whence comest thou? And he said unto him, to David, out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, how went the matter? I pray thee, tell me. And He answered, the Amalekite answered, that the people are fled from the battle and many of the people also are fallen and dead and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, how knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? And the young man that told him said, as I happened, oh, it just so happened by chance, As I happened by chance upon Mount Goboah, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear. And lo, the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, here am I. And he said unto me, who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, stand, I pray thee, upon me. And slay me, for anguish is come upon me because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was upon his arm and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold on his clothes and and rent them. It's a sign of mourning. And likewise, all the men that were with him, and they mourned and wept and and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. As we come to 2 Samuel chapter number two, we find David getting some terrible news And it's through this terrible news tonight that we're going to see some responses from David. But before we pray and before we see those responses, I just want to ask you a simple question. How do you feel about people who are selfish? 
How do you feel about people who are selfish or selfish people? If you think about it tonight, don't selfish people just drive you crazy? Don't they just people who are, who are about themselves and life is all about them, people who are constantly focused upon themselves and constantly focused upon what is going on in their life. This is the person who constantly tells you what, how they're doing and doesn't care how you're doing. It's the person who wants to make sure that they're in the front of the line, no matter who they push to the side. It's the kid that always cuts at school. It's the person who wants to be seen and heard more than others. It's the person who lives with themselves on their mind all the time. You never have to wonder. You, ne- you never have to wonder who their biggest concern is. Why? Because it's them. You know their biggest concern is them. Perhaps you're thinking of somebody right now. Are you thinking of somebody? Somebody you, I mean, that maybe that childhood friend, maybe that sibling, are you thinking of them? Give me their name. I'm just kidding. Don't give me their name. <laughs> Here's the truth tonight that when I said, are you thinking of someone, I'm sure each of us thought of somebody. But I want to ask you tonight, did you think about you? Did you think, oh, that's me? You see, the truth is that we often don't view ourselves as consumed with ourselves, but tonight I'm gonna ask you a question. Then I'm gonna ask you a question that we're gonna answer throughout the message. But in your life, who are you consumed with? In your life, who is your biggest concern? Who are you most concerned about? For me, is, is Dennis most concerned about Dennis? Is Judy, is she most concerned about Judy? Is Jim most concerned about Jim? Is Leo most concerned about Leo? Tonight, who are you, who are you most concerned about? And what we're going to see when we come to 2 Samuel chapter number one is we're gonna see a man who at times was consumed with himself. But at this time, his biggest concern was not David. At this time, what we're gonna see from 2 Samuel chapter one is what should be our biggest concern all of the time. David's biggest concern in this passage was his God. David's biggest concern was God. And I wanna encourage you today, and we're gonna pray, we're gonna scroll through, just fly through some thoughts, but I wanna encourage you today to make a decision, God, This week, this week, I want you to be my biggest concern. I'd like to pray and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you just take a minute and ask God to speak to your heart. Ask God to speak to you tonight. And ask God, God, would you help me to hear exactly what you have for me tonight? Dear Lord, we come before you, and Father, I just, um, I humble my life and my heart before you tonight. Lord, you've challenged me, and you've helped me in 2 Samuel 1 this week, and God, I pray that you would convey those thoughts through me. I pray that you'd help each of us to hear from you tonight, and that you would help us to listen and receive, be encouraged, be convicted, be challenged in everything that you would have. I love you, Lord. Thank you for loving me. I pray that you'd speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The verses we just read, verse one through 12, tell us simply about what took place in David's life as he's experiencing this revival. He's just returned from Ziklag, and as he's returned from Ziklag, what we read taking place is the story of David coming in uh, three days after he's got back from recovering everything. Uh, uh, some, some stranger comes in, and as that stranger comes, we just read the story. The, the, he says, hey, who are you? He says, I'm an Amalekite. Where are you from? Well, I'm from the encampment up near Mount Gilboa. Well, well tell me, what happened? What happened in the war? And that Amalekite servant just simply says, well, the Israel scattered. 
The people are the people are dying. If they aren't dying, they're running for their lives. And many of them have have fled home and there's nobody else left to fight. And it's a total victory for the Philistines. And Saul's dead. And Jonathan's dead. And David has a response that is incredibly different than what this Amalekite expected. Because verse number 11 tells us that David rents his clothes. It's a, a sign of mourning. And the verse number 12 tells us that they stopped the conversation. They literally stopped right there. Hey, okay, quit talking. Rents their clothes and they mourn and fasted and sought God the rest of the day. In mourning all day over his enemy dying. That would leave me perplexed if I'm the Amalekite. That would, wouldn't that leave, wouldn't, wouldn't you just wonder, well, why does David care? Saul's been trying to kill him. But the story doesn't stop there. Take your Bible and let's go to verse 13. I want to read through the rest of the chapter so we can get exactly what took place. Verse number 13, and David, he said unto the young man that told him, he said, whence art thou? And he answered, and catch this, I am the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. And David said unto him, how wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and, and said, go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. And David said unto him, thy blood be upon thy head, for thou, thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. Pause right there. Isn't it interesting that we read a different story in 2 Samuel chapter number 1 than we do in 1 Samuel 31? If you go to 1 Samuel 31 and the, the account that is given of the war, it says that Saul wanted his armor bearer to kill him, but his armor bearer wouldn't, and so Saul committed suicide, killed himself. And yet the Amalekite comes in 2 Samuel chapter number 1 and adds to the story. Now there's two possible scenarios. Number one, the Amalekite is lying. Number one, he's just lying straight through his teeth. Or number two, when 1 Samuel chapter number 31 accounts for us that Saul is dead and leaves no account of the Amalekite in there, that number two, the, the author of 1 Samuel 31 Miss something. Option three. Saul was dying. The Amalekite did come and did kill him. And he's telling us the truth. And 1 Samuel 31 is the truth. You say, pastor, which one is it? You can ask when you get to heaven. <laughs> I have my opinion. And I think, personally, I think the Amalekite's just lying. I think he's lying to impress David, and we're going to see that a little bit tonight. But what we read here is an incredible story and an incredible account. Because here David has heard that his enemy is dead, that the Lord's anointed is slain. And David doesn't rejoice, he instead kills the messenger. After this, verse 17 says, and David lamented, he lamented, with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son, this lamentation would be a song. David wrote a song about it, verse 18. And he also bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The book of Jasher would be like a hymnal that the Israelites used that recorded uh, um, not necessarily songs of praise, but it recorded uh, national truths and national songs that they wanted to be kind of kept in the heritage. But this is the song that David sang. Let's notice the trend. Verse 19. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, Publish it not in the streets of Ascalon, um, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew. 
Neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offering. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul. It's as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with scarlet and with other delights, who put, in, who put on or, ornaments of gold on your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Oh, Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places. I am distressed for thee. My brother Jonathan, very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Man, what a story. When I come to 2 Samuel chapter number one, I read of a time when David could have been rejoicing because his day had finally arrived. Man, Saul's done. Saul's gone. The family's being killed off. When he could have rejoiced at the death of his enemies, when he could have had the attitude of, it's about time. Instead, we find David concerned about one thing. What's he concerned about? In this passage tonight, he's concerned about the testimony of God. He's concerned about the name of God. He's more concerned about the name of God than his own name. He's concerned about the the status of God more than his own status. He is concerned about the, the testimony of God more than his own welfare, his own benefits, or even his own kingship. And so tonight, for the next few minutes, I want us to look from 2 Samuel in chapter number two, and I I want us to see that when we are more concerned with the testimony of God, and when we are more concerned with how God is perceived more than how we are perceived or how we are perceived, there are going to be some identifying markers. I want you to notice, first of all, tonight, when we are concerned about the name of God, more than our own name, we will, number one, keep a heart for others. When you are concerned about God's name more than your own, you will keep a heart for others. I find it interesting that David still cares about Saul. Isn't it interesting when the Amalekite shows up and David finds out that he's from out of the camp of Israel and I escaped, verse number four, the very beginning of the verse, David said unto him, how went the matter? I beg you, hey, tell me what's happening. I find it interesting that David could care about, I mean, I could see David caring about Saul. I mean, they're friends. The last time we saw them, uh, or excuse me, Jonathan. Uh, Thank you, Brian. I could see David caring about Jonathan. I mean, they are, they're friends. Their friends, the last time they saw each other, man, they were embracing as brothers and and David saying, man, I'm gonna love you forever. Thank you for your friendship to me. And I could see him saying, man, what's going on with Jonathan? But why should he care about Saul? I mean, it's his enemy. This is the one who's betrayed him. Uh, Hey, David, don't you remember? He lied about you. Hey, hey, David, don't you remember? He spread rumors about David. He has turned half of the kingdom against you. But through the entire passage, we find David concerned about Saul. You see, at this time in his life, David was walking with God. He didn't view Saul as, while David was walking with God, he didn't view Saul as an enemy. And really throughout the story of David and Saul, David always looked to Saul as God's anointed. He said it three times. Three times in the passage, verse 14, verse 16, and verse 21, he refers to Saul as the Lord's anointed. And he looked to Saul as God's current man to lead the people of Israel. And I I believe that David, he desired for Saul to succeed. 
I really believe that. I think David really believed the moments that David had opportunity to kill Saul when he was walking with the Lord. You know what David said? That's not my place. No, 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 no. He's God's man. He's God's anointed. I am not going to mess with that. And even though Saul looked at David with envy and with pride and as his enemy, David viewed Saul as someone who was on the same team. We know David had a heart for others because of the respect that he showed Saul in this passage, but also because of the concern that he had for the people of God. Hey, hey, what's going on with them? Hey, think about it. These are people who allowed Saul to go through with pursuing after David. Some of them even pursued David with Saul. Some of them verbally attacked David. Some of them lied about him. Some of them betrayed David and didn't defend the one who would become their king. And yet David shows a concern about the, about the very people who had been uh, harmful and mistreating in his life. But I see his heart for others really in verse number 12. 2 Samuel 1.12, not 1 Samuel 1.12. I apologize if any of the slides say 1 Samuel tonight. Verse number 12, when they find out who died, it says, David and his men, they mourned, they wept, and fasted until evening. Who'd they mourn for? For Saul, for Jonathan, his son, and for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. You know, David did not rejoice in hearing about the loss of life for all of those from Israel. He didn't rejoice about hearing his enemy fall. No, David's heart was broken. I want us to see, first of all, tonight that David, he was not self-absorbed. He was not self-consumed because David had a heart for others here. David had a heart that was consumed about God, and we see that because he cared about people. And I wonder tonight, how's your heart for others? I want to encourage you, have a heart. Have a heart for others. When you're more consumed and more concerned about God, the look is not going to be inward. It's going to be outward. Even, even towards people that could be your enemies. I wonder if the Lord peeled back the thoughts of your heart and your emotions and your life tonight, would he see a heart for others even when they deem themselves as an enemy? Most of us, most of the time, it's easy to have a heart for others when we know they like us. But it's not easy to have a heart for them when they don't. And yet I look at Saul, or excuse me, I look at David and his heart for Saul and I say, man, I know David was more concerned about the things of God than he was his own name because he cared about Saul in this passage. So what about those people who have placed you as their enemy? Even believers. Did you know we as believers can be the rudest sometimes to other believers? My dad and I were talking about it tonight uh, right after choir, just sitting here on the third row talking for a few minutes about, about people who have disagree Christians who have disagreements. I think I addressed it a little bit two weeks ago. We came up with two words to help believers on social media. Anybody remember what those two words were? Grow up. <clears throat> it's great two words. But you know what? You know what we do as believers sometimes when we find somebody who's a follower of Jesus Christ and we have a little bit of a disagreement with them, we like to prove how we're better than them and we're right and they're wrong. I'm more spiritual than you. I'm better than you. My position is better than your position. My life is better than your life. My church is better than your church. And we like to have this, this little um, disagreement and this little competition. And there are people who, who then deem other believers as their enemy. And tonight you may have somebody in your life. I, I do. I have people in my life that they have, they have looked to me and they have said, you know what, uh, we, don't, we don't trust what you know and we don't believe like you and you're, you're kind of our enemy. And oh, they may not say that, but when they gossip about you and slander you and mistreat you and speak ill of you and all that type of stuff, 
you begin to think, oh, maybe I am their enemy. <laughs> you know what? When I see those types of people maybe, maybe fail a little bit, when you see those people maybe fail a little bit, does your heart go, oh, or does your heart go, Finally, finally they got their comeuppance. You know what? When we have a heart for God, when we have a concern for God more than for ourselves, regardless of the situation, we're gonna have a heart for people. I'm gonna have a heart that says, man, you're a child of God. I want you to succeed. Yeah, you, yeah, you might be against me, but I'm not against you. I just want you to succeed. I see David had a heart for others. Notice secondly tonight, I see David had a spirit to condemn sinful action. And when we have a concern more for God than for ourselves, we too will wanna condemn sinful action. This is interesting, don't lose it. First Samuel, or Second Samuel, I said it again. Second Samuel chapter one and verse number 13. Second Samuel chapter one and verse number 13, here's what it said. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. <clears throat> now for you and I, for you and I reading this passage and reading verse number 13, it could seem, it could seem like it's, it's, it's irrelevant. It's just a statement, son of a stranger and a Malachite. But when we read that phrase, son of a stranger, this would be a technical term in the Old Testament that meant that someone was an, an alien resident, not an alien from outer space, <laughs> someone who didn't belong there. Son of a stranger means that this man, the Amalekite, his dad was from somewhere else and moved to Israel. And so his dad had moved as a, someone not from Israel, not a Hebrew, an Amalekite from somewhere else that moved to Israel and made his home in Israel. And so this man, the Amalekite, that helps us know some things about him. He's not an Amalekite of the people of the Amalekites and from the areas they would live in. No, he was an Amalekite that spoke Hebrew that was raised with Jews. He would be one that knew the law. He would be one that knew all of the instructions of God. But he would also be one who knew all of the instructions of God about, about God's anointed. He would know. That's when it says right there, the son of a stranger, who are you? I'm the son of a stranger, an Amalekite. That's why we read the very next verse. What's the very next verse say? Verse number 14, David asks him a question. Well, then weren't you scared to lift your hand against the Lord's anointed? You know the question David's asking him? You knew better. If you're telling me the truth, if you're telling me the truth, you knew better. You knew. You knew that 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 was God's anointed. You knew that Saul was one. It was God's position to take him down and not yours. Hey, hey, you knew better. And I want you to see tonight that as we look at this, he knew that only God had the prerogative to take out a bad king. And this man knew that it was not the job of a person or of a nation to remove the king. It was, it was God's job. And this man knew, and yet he claimed to kill the king. Remember, this was something that even David would not do. David said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. And, and David asks him, how wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Hey, if you are an Amalekite, the son of a stranger, you knew. And yet you took it upon yourself to go outside the law of God. You took it upon yourself because you thought you had the right and you thought I would be impressed. You were not afraid. What were you thinking? And so what does David do? He executes him. He says, hey, you knew. 
And because of that, God's judgment is upon you and you know, you know. You know what David did in this passage? And we need to remember this. David didn't overlook sin. And I want to encourage you tonight, don't overlook sin. Oh, I'm not talking about going around and calling out other people's sins. No, I want to apply it to us. Don't overlook sin. Here's something else. I, I didn't catch this until I was listening to a friend preach this, and he preached this point I'm about to give you that I thought, man, that's awesome. Remember the Amalekites? Who was it that Saul was supposed to kill everybody off? The Amalekites. And that's when God said, you're done being king. And who was it, based upon this young man's mouth, that would kill Saul? An Amalekite. Now, whether that's true or not, but he, said, he, he stated it. And who comes to, to David? And David has to first deal with uh, right off the bat. I mean, now he's a brand new king, literally just been instated. And what's his first thing? I got to kill an Amalekite. Can I say tonight the little Amalekites that you and I leave in our life can sometimes be our downfall? The little Amalekites, the little things that, that God comes to you and says, hey, uh, hey, you need to get that taken care of. It's the, it's the things that in our life we, uh, we look at and we, we kind of allow to stay in our life even though God's convicted us about it. The things that God comes and says, hey, get rid of it. Hey, be done with it. Hey, it's an enemy in your life. Hey, you need to take care of that heart. Hey, you need to watch out for that bitterness. Hey, you need to take care of this lust. Hey, you better, you better, you better check that anger. And yet we say, oh, it's okay. I, I can handle it. Oh, it's just a small thing. Well, it's only one. And I encourage you tonight, don't overlook sin. And when you and I, when we're more concerned about his name than our name, we won't overlook sin. We will condemn sinful action. Number three, we'll learn from the tragedies of life. When we're more concerned about his name rather than ours, we'll learn from the tragedies of life. I've got to be quick here, but look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 22 through 24. It says, from the blood of the slain and from the fat of the mighty, this is part of David's song, the bow of Jonathan turned not back and the sword of Jonathan returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their lives and in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet, with other delights, who put on ornaments of gold upon your apparel. We find through this passage that David, he is focused beyond just the here and now. And what does he want to do in this passage and through this song? I see David, he wants to help people learn. He wants to help people learn from the events that he's hearing about. First, he gives a lesson right here in how to have grace how to have grace and even grieve for those who were against you. I don't have time to do this, but you would think again that David would rejoice at the downfall of Saul. You would think that he would be telling the people, hey, yes, it's about time. Go spread the word. Let everybody know I'm king. But instead, he's not doing that. In these verses, do you read what in verse number, um, verse number 22, what he says about them? Hey, Saul and Jonathan, they were lovely and pleasant in their lives. He speaks good of the one who had tried to kill him. And in verse 22, he says they were both used to help Israel. In verse 23, he says they were both beautiful people. They, they stuck together in life and in death. And Saul, he was a good dad. And they were swift as eagles. They were strong as lions. Jonathan's bow, it was effective in warfare. Do you see what he's doing? Man, he is building up people who were uh, really his enemies, what was he doing? He was teaching the people of God how to have grace, how to have grace and, and allow your tragedies to teach you grace towards people. He was demonstrating grace even when it could have benefited him to the, 
uh, it could have benefited him to, to not. Second, I see that he wanted to learn and give a lesson in warfare and better preparation. This is just a side thought, but it's a cool verse. He also bade them to teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. As not, this isn't talking about him playing an instrument. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about warfare. How did Saul die? If you go back to 1 Samuel 31, he died from an arrow. You know what David's doing? David's saying, hey, we've got to learn from this. I'm the leader now. We've got to improve bow and arrow work. Hey, we've, we've got to improve this. You know what David's doing in this passage? He's teaching the people how to learn from a situation. But then David also, thirdly tonight, he teaches the people, and don't miss this, he teaches the people that this could happen to anyone. Verse 19 down through verse number uh, 32, or the end of the chapter, verse number 27, excuse me, David's song. You know what David does? Three times in that passage, Verse 19, verse 25, and verse 27. Three times in that passage. Listen, listen. Here's what happens. Did you see the statement? How are the mighty fallen? How are the mighty fallen? You know, that question is saying, that question is simply saying, hey, we were once mighty people. Saul was once a mighty man. I mean, we're talking about God's people and God's nation and we have everything going for us. How are the mighty fallen? You know, David is getting at this thought is no one's exempt. We had everything going for us. How have we fallen? Uh, Although they had all of the outside benefits Israel and Saul were crumbling from the inside. And this brings attention to the truth that those who were once mighty, they can be brought low. And David is asking a a thought-provoking question that doesn't necessarily want an answer. It's just really more of something to think about saying, hey, this can happen to any of us. You know what David does? He learns three things from this passage. He learns, hey, have grace with others. He learns we need to learn from our mistakes And he learns we've got to remember that no one is exempt. Can I say tonight that when you and I go through tragedies, when our eyes are on ourselves, do you know what we do when we go through tragedies? When our eyes are on ourselves, we think, oh, poor me. Right? We think, man, God, why are you letting this happen? Man, God, why are... And we begin to look inward. You know what? Instead, when our eyes are focused on the Lord, when tragedies come, you know what we're going to do? We're going to say, God... Teach me through this. God, help me through this. God, I want to learn through this. I want to to demonstrate grace to others. I want to learn from the mistakes that I've made. God, I want to set up some safeguards in my life so that this doesn't happen to my life. I see tonight this challenge is to grow through tragedies. No one is excluded. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Man, this can happen to anyone. One man said it this way, mightiness without God equals no strength. It can happen to anyone. You know why Israel was defeated? You know why Saul was defeated? It started in 1 Samuel 13 when he allowed pride into his life. I see tonight that David is more concerned about the name of God more than his own because he kept a heart for others. He condemned sinful action. He learned from the tragedies. But most of all, most of all, and lastly tonight is this, that David hurt when the name of God was hurt. When we're more concerned about the name of God than our own, we too will hurt when the name of God is hurt. Verse number 12, they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. David wept for God's people. 
1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel 2, 19 through 21, the beauty of Israel is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there, uh, let there be no dew, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul. And notice the last phrase, as though he had not been anointed with oil. This passage shows us that David was hurting He was hurting because God was hurting. In this song he sings, he sings of the fact that Saul got away from the Lord. Man, he lived like he wasn't anointed. He died like as though though he had not been one anointed of God. And David also says, don't tell anybody. Did you see that right there in verse 19 through 21 when he says, tell it not in Gath. Hey, don't go tell the Philistines. Don't publish it in Ashkelon. Don't let our enemies rejoice. Why was David concerned? Was, was he, do you think he was concerned about that because now he's the king and he doesn't want it to look bad? No, I think verse number 12 helps us with it, helps us with this because he, he, he wept because the people of God. He wept because the name of the Lord. He wept because his enemies, the enemies of God would be rejoicing. David says, I don't want anybody to know. I'm not glad, I'm lamenting. I mean, he doesn't even just ignore it. He draws attention to it and he says, hey men, listen, we're gonna mourn and we're gonna weep. Why? Because today, today, our God's name has been defamed. In this moment, it wasn't about Saul winning or or excuse me, David winning and Saul losing. It wasn't about personal disputes. No, in this passage, it was all about the glory of God. And we talk about this often at our church, but our biggest concern should be the name of Jesus Christ. And what a great example David was. He was more concerned about the name of God being hurt than his name. He didn't rejoice at the fall of his enemies. He said, I'm concerned. Don't let the news get out. He didn't say, well, I'm vindicated. He said, no, 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 listen. I don't care what takes place. Just don't let, them, don't let, don't let the enemies know. I want to say tonight, as I look at 2 Samuel chapter number one, I find, I find a man who's concerned. His biggest concern was not himself. His biggest concern was the name of God. Why, how do we see that? Because he kept a heart for others. He condemned sinful action. He learned from the tragedies of life. He hurt when the name of God was hurt. And I wonder tonight, would your life, would it point to a greater concern for God's image or for your image? Tonight, I wanna encourage us to make the decision to be a a David. But I also want us to catch a warning tonight, and I'll end with this. David's statement How are the mighty fallen? Fast forward a few years. Towards the end of David's life. And you find David on the patio of his newly, beautifully constructed palace. And David, this mighty man of God, looks down and views a young woman. And you know the story of David and Bathsheba. You know what it's a good lesson in? How are the mighty fallen? It can happen to anybody. You know what happened when David sinned with Bathsheba? His biggest concern was no longer God. His biggest concern was his heart. I find two different Davids. 
I want to be the David of 2 Samuel 1. I want to be the David that says I'm more concerned about his name than my name. But can I tell you, if I want to be the David of 2 Samuel 1 in life, I need to be the David of 2 Samuel 1 tomorrow. Tomorrow, who's your biggest concern? Tonight as we leave church, who's your biggest concern? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.